Know you waiting on your days to get better. You see a whole lot of change with the help of a prayer. No matter how big the problem is, God is great. No matter how big the problem is, God is great. Come on, time and time again. You still show us we going. Feel this up when we within it. Shine your light where it was. They said you never let us down. With your words, we were found. As we learn through these trials, you remind us why we smile. Know you waiting on your days to get better. You see a whole lot of change with the help of a prayer. No matter how big the problem is, God is great. No matter how big the problem Ooh, is, God is great. Hey, how are you? Welcome to Pure Reflections, the podcast where we talk about motherhood, womanhood, and discipleship. I'm your host, Danielle Thompson, resident in counseling and mentor. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Be sure to hit subscribe. And now sit back, relax, and listen as I share what I've learned on my journey. Hi, everyone, and thank you guys for joining me again on Pure Reflections. And today what basically we're going to do is going to continue the series that we're doing on Journey to Life. And today I have two very good friends of mine that um, I met one of them during middle school, right, Lydia? Yeah. Yes, one in middle school. And we weren't really friends in middle school, but um, we had mutual friends. And I actually played um, the violin and orchestra with her sister. And then fast forward couple years later after high school, I reached out to her after she got married, and then we just reconnected from there. And my other friend, Enrica, I met her through Lydia, and we've just been growing with each other spiritually as women and just being there for each other. So I thought it would be great to have both of them come on and kind of share their journeys to life. So um, Lydia, you first. How about you just introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about you? Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on, Danielle. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, so my name is Lydia, like Danielle just stated. Um, I'm originally from Trinidad, but I moved, migrated to New York, and that's where I met Danielle. We went to school together, and um, I'm a realtor with Keller Williams Realty Greater Binghamton, and I also uh, run a real estate company with my husband and my mom and my sister, Um called Fire Realty and we fix and flip homes. So that's pretty much what we do right now in the upstate New York region. Yes, yes, all for it. Hey guys. Hey Enrica. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you wanted me just to jump on in there. But um hi everybody. Thank you so much, Danielle, for inviting me and inviting Lydia and I just to be a part of this podcast. I'm super excited for our conversation today. And I just know God is gonna come down and do something. Yeah. Uh for everybody who's listening, my name is Enrica Gordon, and I'm originally from upstate New York, Poughkeepsie, New York, born and raised. And I am a professional event MC. I have launched my own business quite recently, but have been in the, the industry for over 10 years or almost 10 years, rather. I love hosting events. I love engaging crowds and bringing the energy and having fun with people during live or virtual events. I also have a YouTube channel called Unexplainable Grace, where I talk about my journey and faith and growing in God and different things he puts on my heart. I talk about modest fashion. I do a little comedy. So if you want to check me out, you can follow me on YouTube at Unexplainable Grace. You can catch me on Instagram at Enrica, A-N-R-E-K-A dot G. And you can follow me on LinkedIn as well, because I am wanting to reach out and work with meeting planners, work with those corporate companies that are putting on events, but you need a little pizzazz, okay, for your event. So follow me on LinkedIn at my first name, A-N-R-E-K-A, Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N, and I'd love to connect. Yes, I'm here for it. Like, I'm here for it. So you guys already know what we're doing today. So I figured we could just jump right in. Yes, absolutely. Which one of you would like to start? Should it be Enrica or should it be Lydia? Hmm. (laughs) Let's see. I'm going to let Enrica go because Enrica's ready. Enrica's always (laughs) ready. (laughs) 
Lord, help me be ready. Help me live up to the occasion. Like real, to yes. expectation. <laughs> no, I'm trying to be like you. That's all. I'm, I'm more on the Lydia tone. But, um, okay, so we're going to move on. So, Enrica, do you mind sharing with everyone um, the parts of your childhood that has shaped who you are today? Yeah. So um, the town that I'm from, Poughkeepsie, is a small town. Last stop on the Metro North train from New York City. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because people try to be trying to act like we're in the country somewhere. Okay, we still on the train. Low-key, though. (laughs) Low-key. So... So, so yeah, so the, the, uh, the area that I grew up in, you know, a lot of, of Black people, a lot of Caribbean people, you know, Caucasian and Hispanic culture and where I grew up. And my, my childhood is very interesting because I am a first generation American because my mom and father are Jamaican. Um, my older siblings were born in Jamaica. And then I'm the first, you know, American born child that my mom had, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting growing up with a a household that is a Caribbean Jamaican household, but I'm American in this going to making friends with American kids and, and, and infusing myself into that culture. So growing up, I had a real pop upbringing, like, like Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, and Sync, you know? Yeah, so, I remember that. <laughs> exactly. So whatever you think of when you think of those people I just mentioned, like, that, I would consider that as, like, my younger years, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, um, the taking one strand of hand, hair and wrapping the yarn around it, I don't know if you remember that, but there were certain girls that could do that. Black girls couldn't really do that, but those were the friends that I had, oh, so God. I was trying to do that, <laughs> you know? Like, remember that weird... song you asked me if I knew when we were yeah. watching? What is that again? It was like, um, um, girls just want to have fun. Something um, like that. I was like, what, Erica? <laughs> So, yeah, so that was, you know, that was my, my, like, younger years as a kid, you know, pre-middle school around, like, real pop type of culture and just, like, um, but enjoying it, you know, my mom isn't, we weren't taught, like, this is Black culture, this is white culture, it's just to her, this is American, you know, because she's Jamaican, so, um, I had fun. I had a lot of fun growing up. I had a lot of friends, you know, I had a lot of best friends. I did the sleepovers. We had birthday parties and I'm super grateful for all the memories that I had growing up. I have a younger sister. So it really was just me and her rocking. Um, very creative. I was the one that, cause you know, today I'm, I'm an MC. Uh, so I love events, but I've been putting on events from when I was younger, like I planned them and hosted them from my living room. Like me and my sister used to come up with our own dances. We, I know a lot of kids did that, but we used to like really practice it. And I'll tell my mom, okay, mommy, like the show, our show is going to start at six. Okay. So make sure you're in the living room by then because curtains going up. And she, I just love that as I grew up, you know, me, my mom and dad separated. So it really was just growing up with a single mom but as busy as she was, I don't remember one time that me and my sister were ever putting on our little show and she ever told us, I can't, you know, I'm too busy. Like, I can't do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we would just interject. Like, she got her plan for today, but Rika just decides that she's putting on a show and she, she just puts this on mommy. And my mom never said no. She's just like, okay. And we set the chairs up in the living room and perform and just right. be like, okay, here we go. So I kind of always was just this outward loving the stage type of person as a kid. And then going into middle school, things just shifted. You're just thrown into that, that mountain pot, yes. you know, and it's just like it more like a fire pot because you don't feel like you melted nicely, you know. Melting nicely, though. <laughs> <laughs> when I think of melting, I'm thinking like, you know, some nice oil, like a massage or something, but uh-huh. nah, that's not what it is in middle school. So I think middle school really sh- shifted who I 
was growing to be um, because I was around my, my majority Black people now, uh, where before it's like more mixed and I have more kind of white friends and more pop exposure. But now I'm learning about like the hip hop station. I'm learning about like R&B, you know, which I didn't really, I wasn't exposed to that type of music or that culture that comes with that. I'm learning about Timberland boots, you know, and like baby fat and stuff like that. And like, if you don't have that, you're not cool. Apple bottom. Yeah, like, Mm -hmm. but pre that it was, I didn't have like those kind of expectations on me. So I think going to middle school and the, the new friends I started to make, the culture I started to be infused in start to shape me differently um and just kind of growing in my sense of humor and my comedic sense and the friends that I formed and things like that start to just shape um and 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 shift the way that I saw the world and thought about life and things like that but I, I had fun growing up I definitely did have fun and I think a lot of people all the people that have I've formed friendships with have a lot to do with the person that you see today right. from childhood growing, going all the way up to a present day adulthood. I'm very impacted by people. And it's like each person kind of plants a seed in me and this personality that you see, like there's pieces that I could trace back to, Oh, you know, this friend, like I was qu- more on the quiet side, but when I was friends with her after that, I became loud. You know, like this friend, like I wasn't as sarcastic, but after that, like I became more sarcastic, like, you know, so I really attribute who I am to the friendships that I had because all of them just kind of like put their little two cents into me. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you had an opportunity when you were young to really explore who you were and who you were becoming and then piece together how that worked for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great that yeah. that's like ideal as a child you know yeah and that yeah. you were even able to sit and think of all of that and to know that okay I'm gonna take this piece away from my relationship with this person and add this to who I am you know that takes a certain level of maturity to be able to do that at such a young age yeah well you know I don't even know if I necessarily like uh explicitly took pieces out and said what well, I'm gonna keep or whatever. Right. Um I think since I became an adult is when I realized like wow I'm very influenced by people and like I pick up things from people and and things like that. So okay. um I think when I came to the Lord there was a kind of weeding out okay this part that you picked up here or this part you picked up there or that that you saw in the media yeah that's not of me and that's not of me but other parts that were that you know glorified God just remained in me I don't think it was a conscious like I'm going to keep this part that I got from this person it's kind of like all right she made me loud so there's no going back like this is just what it is (laughs) okay I get that but yeah (laughs) that's cool what about you Lydia Yeah, so um, like I said in the beginning, I was born and raised in Trinidad. So my my childhood is interesting because I've I've lived part of my childhood in Trinidad and I've also lived part of my childhood here in the U.S. So my childhood has a lot of moving parts and I've been exposed to very different environments and it has contributed to me having a I guess you could say a diverse perspective on life and just people and different cultures and so forth so growing up I between my mom and my dad uh, my dad's side of the family um we I came from a more of a I guess you could say affluent affluent family on my dad's side it's pretty much like the rich dad poor dad book Mm -hmm. um and on my mom's side things were a, a bit more on the, the, the shaky side. So, so with us, sometimes uh, my childhood would consist of, you know, Sundays I would be at my dad's family house and we will be in the pool. And then the next day I'm at my mom's house and we're closing the door and running from bullets that are flying in the street. Very drastically different neighborhoods, different lifestyles, different settings. And from a young age, I 
I've learned how to almost adapt to having different personalities for the settings that I am in. So I had to have like the, the posh and the polished set, um, personality and uh, posture and composure when I was with my dad's family. And um, not that my mom didn't raise me to have some of those mannerisms and and so forth, but uh, given the different environments, uh, there wasn't that pressure there when I was with my mom's side of the family. So um, I was raised by my mom predominantly and she really pushed hard to instill in me a drive for excellence in everything that I do. And I would, I would give her credit for instilling that in, in me and not allowing circumstances and the things that are around happening around me to somehow mentally limit what I am capable of producing. So growing up, academics was just like a big thing, you know, like, you had to be the top of your class. I mean, you just you just had to go hard or go home. And I mean, I remember if the if the minimum requirement was you had to write a one page essay, my mom would have us write five. She was always that type of mom that pushed us beyond what was the minimum requirement. So I really appreciate her for instilling that in me. And um, also, I remember, I remember particular experiences that I can look back and say, oh, wow, like that, that was so, um, I can see that in myself today in in regards to my gift for strategy and just like business and everything. I always was this person that could envision things. So I remember there was this one time my sister's best friend had us over for a sleepover and, um, her grandmother served us pancakes now this isn't this isn't Trinidad. Pancakes is like this exotic, <laughs> this exotic dish that like only rich foreign people eat. <laughs> so it was just like, oh wow, like we we're eating pancakes right now. So everybody's eating and enjoying the pancakes, and I'm like analyzing what the recipe is. <laughs> That's funny. So I went home and I took the recipe and I I um. I basically made the pancakes at home and I took the pancakes to school and I sold it to my classmates <laughs> and because they never, they never had pancakes. It was this thing that, you know, it was just like, Oh, what's that? So I brought it to school and they were like, Oh wow. Pancakes. And they paid me for it. So it, it hey, was Lydia been hustling. Right? <laughs> the heck? Selling so pancakes. Time, and, and they're not I, even and I, fresh. <laughs> and I laugh at myself because I'm, I'm like, wow, even back then I was able to take small things and multiply it. And I think that's a beautiful thing because no matter where we are, whether, uh, whether I was still living in Trinidad, whether I'm here in the U.S., wherever God plants us in this world, uh, we have an ability to be fruitful and to multiply and that was like an example of that as a child. So those are, those are some, you know, I would say, major things that have contributed to where I am in life today and who I am as a person. Right. Um, yeah, pretty much. So what about your middle school um, years? Oh, uh, well, I would say that when I, so when I came to the U.S., um, I feel like moving to America became, it was an experience of dying like part of myself died and um it it was it was like i had it was like my old self had to die and i had to get accustomed to a new self that i had no idea of what that should look like and i had to spend time navigating trying to fit in i felt like most of my time was assimilation me trying to figure out where do I fit in this American society and, and how do I fit in? And it was such a draining and I would say traumatic um, and very stressful time for me. Yeah. Um, we did have great experiences in terms of just, just meeting new people and stuff like that. But 
the things that were common to everyday life here in the U.S., for me, it was just like a challenge. Like, I remember the first day we had to go, I had to go open my locker to get my, to put my stuff in. And I broke down crying because I didn't know how to use a combination lock. It was the most complicated thing to me. And like, I just had no idea how to open it. And I just felt like, I just felt like giving up, you know, I just, I was just like, I can't do this. I can't do this school. Um, but it was just like experiences like that. So I, I would say that there was, there was a shift there where it, it was like, I, I started to forget the things that I, the values and the morals and the things that were instilled in me growing up in Trinidad. I started to depart from that because I was trying to seek out this new identity and figure things out for myself at such a tender age, which was, it was, I was 13 at the time. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's crazy because as you're talking, I'm thinking back to um, what assimilation looks like for me during those years. And I think I was just completely oblivious to the fact that I was trying to assimilate because it was like, when I'm at school, that's one world. When I'm at home, that's a completely different world. And because my home life dominated so much, school was kind of like non-existent. I felt like I was just there to go through the motions, get good grades, do what I had to do, and just go about my business. So even though I um, started school in elementary from kindergarten up, I really don't think that I started to see life outside of the Caribbean household until after I had my son at 15. Mm. And it's like, thinking back, I can't even really tell you what happened during those years, apart from going to class or having minor hiccups with people and things like that. But to actually um, think through the process, like, okay, I'm an immigrant. All right, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. What's different here? Like, it just was the polar opposite. Okay, life here is different from life here at home, but I need to focus on life at home. And in order to focus life at home, I need to make sure I do good here. Make sense? Mm-hmm. And I think that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, man, you, you don't realize until you become an adult how living these, I guess you could say double lives, how it really impacts you mentally. Yes. Um, and, you know, as an adult, as a woman now, I have to spend time, even up to this day, just unpacking the past, unpacking the different aspects of my life, the different experiences, and just allowing myself to feel, yeah. allowing myself to, um, to feel in ways that I wasn't allowed to back then, to actually process and to feel, yeah. Yeah, and being present in the here and now. Mm-hmm. You know, because even after, you know, it, it was easy for me to take on that mentality to separate the two different worlds, even after I had my son and I was going to college and going to work and stuff like that. Like, that was that life. And then I'm gonna get back to this life. So it's kind of like an on and off switch. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, hearing you talk about it, you know, made me think like, was I trying to assimilate at that time? And it was like, if I was, it was subconscious. So my next question that would be, what would you tell your middle school self now? I would, Rika, did you want to go? Oh, no, go ahead, girls, your world. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. I would say that, so in middle school, I had this thing where it was almost like an obsession for this quest for love. Mm. And I'm not just... As obviously as an adult now I could see like that quest for love was it was more than just like a romantic like I want a boyfriend kind of a thing but just me as a child having this deep void of wanting to be loved and wanting to feel love and um so I would I would tell my younger self my middle school self that you are loved and I feel like just know, having that knowledge and, and believing it, not just having the knowledge, but actually believing that would have changed so much about so much about my life and the decisions that I made and the way I carried myself and the way I viewed myself. So that, that was a major thing for me. Okay. So let me challenge you a little bit. 
if you were to go to a middle schooler right now and say, hey, you're loved, and I need you to believe that you're loved, you know, um, I could imagine that that would be a little challenging for them to receive right away, right? So um, let's say you were a professional at school with them or something like that. Like, how would you do your best to demonstrate that to um, a young teenage girl that was potentially going through what you were going through? I I think that young people need to see the value in themselves. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they see the things that are wrong with themselves and the decisions that they're making wrong, the wrong decisions, but they're not seeing the value. So, you know, if, if, if sometimes if an adult, for example, came to me and pointed out, um, pointed out certain things about myself, attributes, um, and affirmed those things to me, you know, I feel like that in a sense would have came off as them loving me, if that made sense. Right. It makes so, sense. Yeah. So I think that we do need to affirm more. It, it's not, it's beyond, for me, I don't like the cliches of, you know, like love yourself because people used to say that all the time. And I was just like, okay, let me go in the mirror and try this. It doesn't work. Still hate no. me. Moving on. <laughs> like, it, those things don't work. Like it, it goes beyond that. So uh, I feel like uh, when adults, if, if adults took the time, more adults took the time to really just affirm those things that they saw in me, I would have felt that it would have been exemplified versus them saying, I love you or, you know, like you are loved. Right. Or even having the conversation to um, provide examples of what love could look like and what it entailed and um, actions that affirm that love, you know, and really just be intentional about breaking it down for a middle schooler to understand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Enrica? Yeah, this is so good what you guys are talking about. Because um, before I get into my personal reflection on that question, I just want to kind of piggyback off of the direction that you guys are going on uh, when it comes to uh, a middle schooler knowing that they're loved or knowing that they're affirmed. I feel like that is when the the word of God comes into play more than ever. That's when I think um, the perspective of God and Jesus Christ comes into play more than ever because yeah, in middle school, that's when I started to experience that. That's that was when the shift came and I started to experience the body image issues, you know, the, 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 the low self-esteem, the low self-confidence. And that was coming from me being put in this new environment and the environment telling me this is wrong with you. That's wrong with you. That's wrong with you. This is wrong with you. You don't have this. You don't have that. So now my response is, I'm agreeing. You're telling me this. I'm accepting it as truth. And if that's truth, that means I believe what is true. And the response is now I have everything inner value, inner worth in me has reduced and gone low. And um, my mother for sure would say, you're beautiful. You know, my mom for sure is going to say, speak the opposite of what kids at school are saying. And um, or going back to a, a young lady or a young man that's not feeling love and the parents are saying, hey, I love you and stuff or even affirming like Lydia was saying, like, oh, like, you know, we adults need to affirm this and children or affirm that. That's all true. But um, I can say for myself, my mom did affirm me. But I think that's when the word of God comes into play, because as a kid, all I could say was, well, you're my mom. You're supposed to say that. You know, like, you're gonna say that you're my mom, like, if it came from anybody in my family, that's just that would be my response, because my mind is so consumed with the lie, that that's what's true. And you just you're just saying that because you're my mom. So of course, but that's not a a true. uh, uh, That's not a reality, or or, a true uh, perspective on 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 who I actually am the kids at school what they're telling me that's what's truth what the media is telling me that's what's truth you know so when you could come in and let's remove opinions altogether and let's say let what does the highest opinion in the universe say about you let's talk about that 
because now we've removed the fact that you can say, well, you're my mom, well, you're my teacher, well, you're my counselor, well, you're my coach, you're going to say that. Well, guess what? The God that created you, that's, this is what he says. I'm just backing up what he's already said about you, son, what he's already said about you, daughter. So I would say that that's, that's so vital uh, when the word of God can come in and start to point your kids to that word early. Right. And and then they get to grapple with God's word. You know, we're we're putting everybody's opinion aside, bad opinions, good opinions. Now they get to grapple with their relationship with God and do they believe what God has said about them? Um and you know so, when truth resonates too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh so for me, like I said, I middle school was going into more of a majority black environment uh, and a black culture, which I was not exposed to before, which I didn't know a lot about. So, you know, and, and also going into that age group where, where uh, classifications start to happen, grouping and categorizing of people start to happen where when we're in first to fifth grade, everybody just plays together. You know, everybody's having fun. You might have one nasty person who's a bully or something, but it's not like harsh. You know what I'm saying? It's like kids that might say something mean here, something mean there, but for the most part, everything is copacetic. But then you get to middle school and now the groups start to form. And now, you know, I'm being told body image starts to uh, be created because I'm being told like, oh, you don't have a big butt. I'm like, uh, I didn't know we were measuring. Like, since when I thought I just needed this to sit on and I'm currently using it for that. So is there another purpose I'm unaware of? Like that, that requires a certain measurement? You know what I'm saying? So I'm being told that. Um, I'm being told I'm not wearing name brand stuff. So if you're not wearing name brand stuff, like you're not cool. You're less than. Like you're, you're on the outside of the group. So now before my mom used to shop at Kmart, my mom stayed at Kmart. That was her favorite store. Okay. I didn't know nothing about name brand and it was, I didn't have to, cause I had clothes on my back and they were clean and that's all that I needed in elementary. But now in middle school, if I don't have a Nike on my sneaker, if I don't have Timberland on my boots, like you're less than you're, you're whack, you're corny, you're going to get clowned, you're going to get roasted, you know? So all these different things that I'm just now like being introduced to being thrown into and you know even the way I spoke like I said like I grew up around different people so now I'm learning there's a difference between quote-unquote white and black and how you speak and uh you know if you talk that way oh that sounds white like oh it does I thought it was English okay so (laughs) uh so how do I talk now you know like now I'm starting to learn slang Uh, And you have to talk slang because if you don't, you're going to be, like I said, all the other things that if you don't wear name brand, you know, um, you're not cool. You're not fitting in like you're whack. So now I have to talk slang. Now, not only do I have to talk slang, but I got to talk in a way that's kind of harsh and abrasive because now people fight more in middle school. So you're surrounded around threats. So you can't come off as soft because then you're going to be even more of a target, you know, for somebody to pick a fight with you or whatever, like elementary school, never had to worry about that. We didn't fight. Like, Not are you kidding? Elementary school. <laughs> well, mine, we did it. <laughs> like we, we had a lot of fun. We did circus minimus. Like mm-hmm. I'll explain that another day, but <laughs> we didn't fight, you know? So it's just like all this different stuff that I'm now, it kind of, middle school is like, a survival mode like I feel like I kind of went into this like you just got to survive you know what I'm saying like you got to fake it till you make it and you got to try to fit in and being you isn't good that's what I learned through middle school like you need to try to be like who whoever is defining what is cool which is those groups then that's who I need to be they are now defining my identity they're defining my value and I have to live up to their expectation and if I could go back and talk to myself, I would tell myself how much of a blasphemous lie that is. How much of a lie that is, because I honestly wasn't, 
beginning to be delivered or freed from that lie until college. And I mean like grad school college, like 21 years old is when the unraveling of that falsehood started to begin in my life. And it just so happened that that was around, you know, me getting saved. Like, um, actually it was a couple months before I got saved. But up until that point, everything that I was, the way I'm talking, the way I'm walking, the, the clothes that I buy, you know, the, the kind of guys that I want to be with, like everything was being shaped by what people was telling me was cool. And, and my life goal became to be cool. And it just seemed like I was never reaching that mark, no matter how hard I tried, you know, no matter how skimpy I dress, no matter how much music I listen to or uh, parties I go to or whatever. It just, I'm still not meeting the mark to be with the people that seem like the gods. Um, and and, and that, that's such a, a draining life to live. And it's such a lie from what God created me to be. I heard this quote that says that we are each God's fingerprint. And that thing has been life-changing for me because uh, in forensic, I took a class, a forensic, uh, in high school, I took a forensics class, and I learned that there aren't two fingerprints that are the same. Like, every single person in the world, twins, triplets, it does not matter, has a different fingerprint on each finger. Like, that's why that's one of the things that the police uses to track who a person is, because Every fingerprint is unique to that specific individual, which is insane to me. But when I learned that, and then I heard somebody say that you are God's fingerprint, that thing really clicked for me that I'm supposed to be different. There's supposed to only be one me. I'm not supposed to be looking like everybody else because there's no fingerprint that looks like any other fingerprint. Like even on my own body, all 10 of my fingerprints are different. And that's by God's design. And I feel like if I had known that truth earlier at 11 years old or 12 years old when I entered middle school, like it just would have been so life-changing to me to know that God designed me just the way I am, the way that I speak, my quirkiness, the way that I dress. Like I'm not here to be like anybody else. I'm here to be me. And that's for God's glory. So that's what I wish, that's what I would tell myself. That's a drop mic moment. Okay. <laughs> you, know, you, just, you just dropped the mic right there because it's true, you know, and we all struggle with it, even in our adulthood, our adult lives, like going to college, even life after high school, you know, and that's what I was going to ask you guys next. But um, before we go there, I just quickly wanted to ask, um, so, Enrica, for most of your educational career, a lot of your challenges was in school. Were any of your challenges um, more family related? Mm, through college years? Um, no, I mean through like elementary, middle school, high school, things like oh, that. Oh, through schooling. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, family related. I would say um, the biggest kind of uh, conflict I had in family was between me and my sister, my younger sister, um, between, and that was kind of going into the middle school, no, middle, early middle school, we were fine, but I think eighth grade is really when a, a log was, was really wedged between us in our relationship. And it was mainly me, you know, unforgiveness and all that stuff. But there was just a lot of different things that happened between her, me and my sister, my mom, but mainly her and my mom. And because I, I just always sided with my mom and always looked to her as the, the teller of truth and looked to her as just like, you know, anything she says is gospel. So if she's complaining, if she's, she's worrying, if she's, you know, saying all these things about my sister, then that means all of it is true. So I'm taking on 
not only what she's saying, but her mindset, you know, towards my sister. And then you couple it with whatever beef me and my sister had. And it just, I, I really was a grudge holder. That's like, that's one of the things I, I was very unforgiving, even from childhood. I was unforgiving. Like my little friends, me and my little friends would get into a little fight, first grade, second grade. Like I would hold a grudge like nobody's business. I don't know. The last time you seen the seven year old be angry for like two months or something. Like, like I had me, we had some beef. Like I remember uh, we had an order and I sat at the head of the lunch table. Okay. And everybody knew this. And one day I show up and I'm not going to say her name, but she knows who she is. We've talked oh about this. Oh, my God. You, you are so petty right now. She and... was one of those. one of those girls at school. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> we know how this goes, Crystal. Okay? I'm just going to say it. And I show up, and who's in my seat? Why? Okay. Is this a joke? He, he, ha, ha. Like, okay. Uh, let me sit down, you know, get up so I can sit down. This is my seat. And she's like, no. And I'm like, what do you mean? No. Like, this is where I sit. You know, this is where I sit. So anyway, she refused. So I was like, oh, really? Okay, fine. I'm going to sit with my other friends. And I literally did not talk to her and did not sit at that lunch table until she would give in and apologize and move. And it was over a month. They didn't think I would hold out. And I don't know where I learned that unforgiveness from, but I was very unforgiving. So I was like that over a chair at a lunch table. So imagine like, you know, fast forward to being 14 and me and my sister really got into it one time. It was like something really, really big and just like different conflicts that we were having. And I just went into unforgiveness. I stopped talking to her. Like I literally, that was a pause in our relationship right then and there. Like I, I, I just had a lot of anger toward her. I had a lot of bitterness towards her. I didn't want nothing to do with her. Like, I didn't even claim her as my sister, really. Um, and yeah, like our relationship stopped for almost 10 years, basically. Wow. Um, so that would, I would say that would be the biggest kind of family uh, hurt that I had or challenge. There were mm-hmm. definitely others, you know, but that was like the, the biggest, closest one. Thanks for sharing. Lydia? Um... I guess I could I could say similar to Enrica. Um, so growing up, my my mom and my dad divorced, and we moved into my grandparents' house with my mom. Um, so there was just like a lot of adjustments going on that, as a as a child, I didn't really have time to process. Uh, so there because of what I was going through internally and emotionally, um, it, it, it just, it just so happened to evolve and to just me just being bitter and, and rebellious in many ways. And I felt like the adults around me were not empathetic to what I was going through. So there, there, there was a, a rift in, in, in my family between my mom and my sister and I, and, um, you know, growing up, like my sister, I think, I think the thing with my sister and I was we were very close in age. So my sister and I were 11 months apart. And growing up, we were always classified as twins. We dressed the same. Everything had to be the same. We, were, we had to be in the same class. We had to have the same shoes. We had to have the same everything. And I think as parents, now I'm a mother of two girls that are back to back, just like my sister and I. But I think as parents, uh, we just have to be sensitive in allowing our kids to have their their individuality. Um, and I feel like my individuality was suppressed, and I rebelled against it. So I rebelled against it by taking it out of my sister, which wasn't really what she she didn't really do anything. <laughs> but I was taking it out on her. And um, so we just, we just didn't have that close relationship. And when we came to the U S it was, it was just worse um, because I was trying to fit in. And I just felt like she was this, she was the one that always wanted to follow the rules. And I'm just like, 
you are just messing up my whole entire image right now. (laughs) I'm just going to need you to like sit where you sit on, you know, the other side of the table. (laughs) I remember it. I remember it. I really do. Yeah, I really do remember that too. Like when I left where she sat for lunch and I went and started sitting with my other friends. Uh And um, from then, like we just, I mean, like we just never talked. And I remember like people being shocked that I had a sister in high school. Yeah. Because they had no idea that we were related. Same. I never said anything until she came in two years because I'm two years older, until she came in, and people had to discover, because I ain't saying nothing. <laughs> and it's funny, right. because Lydia, your sister, she stuck to what she knew. Like, she was not changing it for anyone. Like, no matter how much you're like, Gianella, you know, come on. Nope, Gianella's like, no, Lydia, no. <laughs> it's but let me, funny. But let, me, let me say something because I feel like back then, you know, we kind of throw shade at like the goody two shoes type of females and all of that. Like I have so much respect for somebody who can walk the walk that other people aren't walking. Like walk the walk that's not popular. Of course. That to me shows so much character and just so much um, mental strength that I didn't have clearly. And I, I really think that that's something to exemplify. Yeah. And so today, you know, I look at my sister and I'm just like, wow, like you, you really like through all of the things that we've been through, you've been like a pillar. And that is just like, that's just so amazing to me. You know, like you're so admirable to me. Uh, but back then it was just like, could you just not be like this? Like, <laughs> Could you not be a snitch? Could you not be? So we were like that. Mm -hmm. What's funny is that that's what I admired the most about her when we were in orchestra. And that's why I became friends with her was because she was her. She stood out from everybody else and she was okay with it. And I loved her accent. I could have related to her because, you know, she's not from here and I wasn't from here. And that's really what made us become friends. Oh, that's wow. so cool. Wow. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, so that was that was pretty much our relationship. And um, I think that things really began to unravel and just come to a place of restoration when she left for college. And it, that gap between us was just like, I think we started to miss each other more. And um, I was growing as well within myself. And as we just we just started, it started with conversation that we would just talk to each other and then we just became close. And then before you know it, um, I gave my life to God and she was in that place already. But then when we moved in together, it was just like, we were just on the same page, you know, and God just like brought the whole relationship 360 and it was, it was just like an amazing point of our lives that I never thought that we would have that, that type of relationship. I never thought that it would ever be restored or it could be restored. And, you know, I thank God for her forgiveness, uh, her, her willingness to forgive me for my actions. And I think that that display of love is what um, really anchors me in just life and in our relationship. That's good. I like that. I definitely do. Well, we've been having a really good conversation. I don't know if you guys are enjoying it, but I definitely am enjoying it. And I think you guys provided a lot of background background content um, just to shed some light on what life was like. So fast forward a little bit. And from high school to now, where would you say you are? Mm, well, I guess I'll jump in. Um, man, I am a totally different person. Absolute 180. Like, absolute 180 in every sense of the imagination, man every sense and if you were to tell me in high school that I would be the person that I am 
and I mean every detail from wearing natural hair to the way I dress to being Christian to the way that I speak and the way that I talk and the music I listen to and the people that I'm friends with. Like, if you ever told me the different aspects of my life in high school, I would have freaking laughed you out of town, bro. I would have been like, yeah, right. That's like everything about that person is corny. Like that person is whack. Like, heck no. That is funny. That person is not cool. That person is a problem. I want nothing to do with that person. (laughs) You know, because I was fighting so hard to be somebody else. And who I am today is nothing like the people that I was growing up with and that were considered the cool people and the popular people. Um, so I am, I am completely different, even down to just my inner self. Like I said, all that unforgiveness I had towards my sister, I had a lot of negativity in my heart. Uh, and I grew up in a household that kind of, would err on the negative side of things rather than the positive side of things. You know what I'm saying? Um, So kind of being around that, being around gossip a lot and all that stuff, like all that was in me. So I was not an encourager. I was just thinking about it the other day, how God has made me this, this person that loves to exhort and loves to encourage people and love to build people up. Like that was not me at all. Like I was actually quite negative and if you mentioned anything or said anything that in my mind that felt like it was, it was far-fetched or you're doing your, that's outside of the bounds of where you should be. Like, I'm going to denounce it right away. Like, I'm not going to encourage, I'm like, yo, that's mad. Like, that's so stupid. Like, why would you do that? Like, da, da, da. you know, it was, I was just n- no way the person who I am today. And it really is the Lord. It really is Jesus who came into my life in 2012, January 2nd, 2012, and just drastically changed my life and is making me who he originally designed me to be. If anything, that's what's been taking place is that it's not that I'm changing into this whole different person. It's that I'm becoming who God originally planned for me to be. But I never saw that plan or knew that design because of all the sin that I was in, because of the sinful household I grew up in, and because of the people that I was around. So I didn't know God's plan. I didn't know God's word. I didn't know truth. So all I did was live by lies. So I'm living in truth in every you know, every fiber of my being, praise God. And I want to continue to live in truth because who I am today isn't going to be who I'm going to be in 10 years. Like when I'm 40, I pray that I'm saying I am nowhere like the person I was when I'm 30, you know? Um, So I, I thank God so much for coming into my life. And it's really just been him coming into my life, bringing the light in, turning the light on in the darkness, connect, sending people sisters in Christ that also have the light in them to pour into me, to teach me, to show me, um, and, and renew my mind. The Bible talks about, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I was absolutely living a life aiming to conform to the world. And now my mind is being renewed. Even things about me that didn't seem outwardly bad, just seem like personality traits. God has changed those. Like, you know, he's just doing a whole renewal of, of man. I look in the mirror and I don't know who this woman is. Like, I don't know who this girl is, you know, and I'm thankful because this is the, this is God's original design. It's being revealed to me by the day. And it's beautiful. Amen. (laughs) It is. It definitely is. (laughs) Amen. Lydia? Yeah, I I can't I can't say too much about about Black Girl Magic, but I could talk about Black Girl Miracles, and hey. I, just, I just feel like that that's what I am, and that's what I'm a display of, uh, because I just feel like my life is miraculous. Everything about it. Um, I remember there was a point in time where I didn't think that there was anything on the outside of my circumstances for me. 
I felt that I was completely void of hope. I was completely hopeless. I did not want to live. And I just, I had no, no sense of, of a purpose or any of that. And I was just so lost. And if I were to even get a glimpse of who I am today, it would have scared me. It would have been like, it would, it would have been like a, a true supernatural experience. Um, so I can say that what God has done in my life and where I am today is truly miraculous and it can't be it it can't be simplified or you know you know kind of like dumbed down in 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 in, into into simple into simple human logic and terms but it's it's miraculous because i should not be here um there are so many statistics that i should be a part of right now um so many so so many decisions i should have made and face the consequences of. And even, even though there were many bad decisions made, um, God pointed me to, to, a, to a truth that I decided to take him up on. And once that truth came into my life and into my heart, then it completely purged all of everything out. It, it completely changed and transformed my life. It was, it would, it's, 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 it just takes belief, faith. And that's what faith is. Simple faith. I know like growing up, I used to think that, um, that, uh, a relationship with God was about like, you know, okay, well, I got to go get baptized and then I got to follow all these rules. And if I break one of the rules and dang, I, you know, I messed up for good and I got to start all over and no, it, it, it was never about any of that. Um, it was just simply about accepting God's love for me and then agreeing that I would give my life to him. And he is the one who did the transformation. It wasn't a work that, that necessarily um, I had to physically work hard and struggle to do, but he is the one that transforms and changes so I am in complete awe at just where I am today and just humble and, and, and grateful um, because I, I know a lot of where, where I've walked and, and where I've been and I know I shouldn't be here. And growing up, I, um, growing up, we used to live, when I used to live with my grandparents, we lived in this valley and it was like one of, on one of the worst streets in the entire country. So if you can think of like whatever the worst street in New York City is, like that. So I remember there were they were like the hills surrounded and they were not pretty hills, like mountains or anything like that. They were just, it felt like living in a hole. And I remember I would just sit on the porch and there's this feeling of depression and just, God, would I ever, would I ever get out of here? Is that would I ever be would I ever be able to see beyond these hills? There was always that question and that longing in me. And when I came to the US, I remember um, you know, I just remember work the, the jobs I used to work and and just like the uh, the abuse I would face and 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 all of these different things. And there was just this deep thing in me that said, you know, Lydia, there there's more. There's just, there's more for you. And I kind of held on to that. I always felt there was always this deep knowing of there's something more. This isn't, this isn't for you. This is what you're going through, but this, this is, this is not for you. Like, this is not your portion. Um, and I truly believe that that was, that was God in a sense directing me and allowing me to know, to not get comfortable and where I was in life at that point. Well, thank you so much, guys. I think that was great. I think you guys ended really well because you answered the questions that I was going to ask to close. 
And just to add to what you were saying, Lydia, about that longing and that knowing, I think, you know, sometimes after we know, then the next question comes as to how long, Lord, how long, you know, Mm -hmm. and really just being able to re-anchor in ourselves to not focus on the how long, but just the knowing is sufficient. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Hallelujah. So, yeah. Wow. Hallelujah. I think you guys did great. Thank you so much for joining me and being willing to just be raw and share and just reflect on where you've been and where you are and what you're currently doing, you know, and where you plan to be. So, um, all right, guys. Well, you guys, that's it. I think that was more than enough. And I just appreciate you guys. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And um, like I said, you guys are more than welcome to just share your feedback. If you want to leave a comment, if you guys want to um, follow us on either one of our social medias, you guys have shared that with them and everyone knows mine. So until next time, guys, we'll see you. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Kenya. Welcome. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Pure Reflections, the podcast. Be sure to rate, review, hit the subscribe button, and share with a friend. For information about today's show, be sure to check out the show notes below. As always, stay focused, be true, and be you.